Well, again, uh, if I haven't said it already, my name is Brian, uh, lead pastor here at Lower Town, and we are in week six of Romans. And so we've been, we've been walking through the book of, of Romans. We're gonna be here for a while. Uh, so, so giddy up. Uh, I think we still have some copies of the little Bibles that, that we had of just the book of Romans on one side and then some blank uh, sheets or some blank pages for notes on one side. Um, if they'll, they'll, be available, what? they'll be available in the fireside room after the service if you would like to uh, grab one of those. Um, I wanna just start off with, with a question um, that is a little, uh, well, it, it ties in greatly, I think, to where the sermon is gonna be heading this morning and the passage we're gonna be looking at. Um, was there ever a time in your childhood, um, and, and not to like, have, this might be like, oh yeah, this was, that was an awful experience, and it might have been, okay, but, but this can be an awful experience of, of, a, of a teaching lesson where your parents, you wanted to do something, you wanted to eat something, or you wanted to, to experience something, and your parents kept saying, no, that's foolish, and then at one point, they're finally like, fine, go ahead, just do it. See what happens, right? Just, there's something about a parent just finally letting that go, right? Of a kid who, who sees apple cider vinegar and they're like, I want it, I gotta have it, right? And they're like, I, I, no, you're not gonna, they're losing their mind. It's like, fine, you want apple cider? Go ahead, pour a glass, let's see how that goes for you, um, right? Um, or a kid who wants yogurt, you know, and it's sour cream or whatever. And um, I, I know I remember, you know, as a kid, um, I was one of those big no coat wears, you know, like, no, nah, I'm tough, I'm cool, I'm, I'm 12, I don't need a coat, you know, and it's like, fine, like, go, then don't wear a coat, see how, would that, how you enjoy that, you know what I mean? Um, and it, there's, so there's, you know, now I'm a parent, I find myself doing that, don't touch the stove, do not, fine, touch it, go ahead, just go ahead, see what happens, all right? Um, there's sometimes, though, and what we're gonna see in this passage, um, where our, our Heavenly Father uh, kind of does that same thing with us. Like, oh, you wanna, you wanna experience the world? You wanna know what that's like? Go ahead, um, see what that's like. I'm gonna give you over to those passions um, and yet I'm gonna be father, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be here. Um, and so uh, that's where we're gonna be. So just to uh, quickly recap, I, I don't wanna spend a whole lot of time every week because you know, we're going through a book. So if every single week we recap, we're gonna be spending all week recapping. And so that's not what I wanna do. But uh, just remembering in verse one, because we're still in chapter one, uh, it's the apostle Paul. He's a servant to doulos, a slave of Christ Jesus. That's his first phrase that he says. I'm, I'm a slave of Christ. Uh, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. He's writing it to those in Rome. Again, this book is written to the Romans. This book is not written to us. This book is written for us. So we have to put ourselves in their shoes. We gotta know what was it like to be a Roman Christian at that time? And what would it have been like to have read this letter for the first time? What would it have been like to, to digest this and then say, okay, how does this apply to them? And then only then can we really start to grasp what this would mean um, to us. And then kind of looking at these questions, and, and these are some big questions, uh, looking at what's the main overarching point of Romans. And a, the popular question is, how can a loving God send anyone to hell? I've said this since we started getting into that. That's a great question. And every believer, anyone who has any kind of faith has to wrestle with that question. But that's not Paul's question. Paul's question, which is going to be very evident in the passage today, is how can a just God allow anyone into heaven? How can someone who is holy, sinless, separate, otherness, one who has to hide Moses in a cleft of a rock as he passes by, because Moses, if you see me, you're gonna die. So I'm gonna let you see where I once was and see the afterburners of my glory, and it's still gonna blow your mind. How, how does that God allow people like us into his presence, right? That's 
the gist of what Paul is getting at. And then last week, looking at the thesis statement that, that Paul is gonna give us his thesis statement in Romans chapter one, 16 and 17. And he's gonna spend the remainder of all the rest of the chapters defending and proving this thesis statement. And so uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna read that and that will tie in then to where we're gonna be this morning. So last week, uh, said again uh, this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Um, and so I'm gonna read today's passage. It's gonna be the longest that we've done so far. Uh, Romans chapter 1, 18 through 32. So if you wouldn't mind, just stand uh, as I read this out loud this morning. Uh, don't read along with me. Just a little, this is a longer one, uh, by far the longest we've had, but we're, I'll, I'll explain it once I get done reading. So there's a, there's a lot going on here. I'm gonna read this, and, I, and you're gonna have a lot of questions. You, you should have a lot of questions. Um, and, and so we're gonna take some time, uh, four weeks actually, to even just go through this. Let me, I'll explain. Let me read it. And then, and then we'll, we'll talk about it. So Romans chapter 1, 18 through 32 says this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in that these things have been made so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give, him, give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts they were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passions for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetous, covetous, what? covetousness, malice, and they were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, and though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. You may be seated. That is the passage. <laughs> There's a lot there, uh, a lot going on, right? And so if you um, are visiting this morning, <laughs> welcome to Hope Lower Town. Uh, today, we're here to be discussing specifically the wrath of God. And again, you, you might say, well, that there's, a, there's a lot in there. How are we going to unpack all of that this week? We're not. Uh, we, are, we are kind of, and again, we're doing this long series. going to take us you know, a good year and a half to get through the book of Romans. Um, but we're kind of doing a mini series right here on these verses. 
And so Romans 1, 18 through 32, uh, this week, specifically you're gonna be focusing in on the wrath of God. Uh, just a nice, fun, light-hearted sermon for you this morning. Um, and, and then uh, next week, we'll be honing in again on specifically verses 18 through 25, uh, looking at what's called the great exchange, the creation for the creator. Uh, the week after that, we'll be looking at verses 22 through 27, uh, the natural for unnatural. Uh, and then the last week, we will focus in specifically on the last verse on 32, 132, the little L law of God. So that's where we're going for the next four weeks specifically over this in this little four-week mini-series. But we're gonna zoom in on the phrase, the wrath of God. <clears throat> so uh, again, if you're visiting, checking out Hope, checking out Christianity, I hope that this would be evident that we don't shy away from controversial topics that we do believe that the Bible, all of it from cover to cover, uh, the 66 books of the Bible are God's word. And, and we're not apologetic uh, how we teach. And yet at the same time, um, wanna preach this with grace and love and mercy. And I think that, that when we really dig into the text, um, things can really start to come to light. Um, and so uh, that's, that's what we're gonna be doing this morning, looking at uh, this passage and specifically the Roman or the, the wrath of God. Um, just a simple outline uh, today. Um, what is wrath and what is the wrath of God? Because uh, I'm sure when you hear that word, you, there might be uh, thoughts that, that pop into your head. Uh, the second one is the why. Why is wrath even necessary? Why is it relevant? Is it really relevant? Isn't that Old Testamenty God? Aren't we like New Testament Jesus God now? And then the final aspect is then how. Uh, how does the wrath of God manifest um, itself or make manifest. Um, so if you are taking notes, just try to keep it up towards the top by verse uh, 18 and give yourself some room for the following, the following weeks. So here we go. Romans chapter one, verse 18, starting off, we have that word for. And if you remember last week, the outline was straight up, follow the fours. And there were three fours Again, there were five fours in the passage, but three of them were the Greek word gar. The other two were ice, which doesn't really matter, other than the word for should be the word because. Um, not, not it should be, it can be translated for or because. Uh, and so we gotta, we gotta follow that, okay? So, so when the apostle Paul here says, for the wrath of God, we gotta go back. Because the wrath of God, because what? What is he hinging this on? And so going back to that thesis statement, this is just my translation, I've always wanted to say that. Uh, is, <laughs> I did, anyways, uh, because the four in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from the beginning of our faith to the end of our faith. As it is written, the just will live by faith. So the gospel, because of the gospel, this rightness, this justice, this holiness of God is revealed and then we get to this, because the wrath of God. Because the wrath of God is directly connected to the previous verses that talk about his righteousness, his justice, his holiness. You cannot have one without the other. I often talk about, and I kind of have this pet peeve when I talk about the attributes of God or, or, or you know, God's mercy or his love or his justice. And I talk about holy. Holiness is not an attribute of God. It's, it's who he is. His name is holy. I can call him holy. And so his holiness, he has a holy love. He has a holy mercy and he has a holy wrath. Now we cannot separate verses 16 and 17 because it ties into the wrath 
of God here in this verse. So then it leads us to that first question, what is the wrath of God? What typically might come to mind, this is a Webster, uh, Webster Merriam-Webster's dictionary.com slash wrath. Um, this is uh, what, just a simple definition, strong, vengeful anger or indignation. This is what usually comes to mind when we think of wrath, and, and rightfully so. We think of someone just flying off the handle, losing their mind over something that seems insignificant, right? Did you really need to do that, right? Just, just somebody just explosively blowing up and just vengeful, right? Indignation, just unhinged is usually what the, some adjectives that we might use when we think of wrath. They're usually not present feelings or, or pleasant, excuse me, pleasant feelings or pleasant adjectives that will come to mind when we think of wrath. But according to Webster's Dictionary, there's a secondary uh, use of that word because when I was uh, in school, there was a, a guy in my class who was wrathful about the word wrath. Right, I mean, we would talk about the wrath of God, and he he would like I mean, I'm not exactly I mean, he would lose his mind, uh, flip out like tears, yelling at people. How dare you say God is wrathful? It's like I, I get it, but I think you're you're you had a really bad experience as a child with with a wrathful dad, and you're now equating that with God, and that's not that's not the definition. The wrath of God can also be this. Um, retribution or retributionary punishment for an offense or a crime, divine chastisement, right? This is divine revenge, if you will. And so I want you to keep that in mind when it comes to this definition. This is punishment for an offense or a crime. This isn't unhinged wrath just because I feel like it. I don't like the way you looked at me, so I'm gonna lose it on you. I remember Mrs. Beefus in sixth grade made me run a lapse in, in, in elementary because I was chewing my food wrong. That's the first wrath, because I, right? That's not, that's not punishment for an offense or a crime. Can't chew wrong. What are you talking about, Mrs. Beefus? <laughs> right, we, and I think our mind goes here. Right? We, hear, we start hearing about the wrath, the, really the wrath though of God, right? And I think again, going to my, 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 my you know, classmates, like there's got to be a different word that we can use. And I, and I get that. I understand that, that, that maybe we're talking, maybe we're arguing semantics here when it comes to this word of wrath. And yet there's so much that's built into this word that I think is necessary. And so a lot of times we think, yeah, but isn't, isn't God love? Right? The Bible tells us in Deuteronomy that God is love. Yes, he is love, but he's holy love which directly goes into Paul's main overarching question is how can a holy or a just God allow anyone into heaven? Even if he loves them, how can he be in the presence of sin? He has to have wrath. He has to be able to pour out his wrath. And we might go into 1 John 4, 7 through 11, some verses that are usually used to demonstrate God is love. Beloved, those who are loved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This exchange of our sins for his rightness, his righteousness, 
Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another, right? Brian, why don't you just preach that? Why don't you just stick to 1 John? Why, why get into wrath in Romans? How is it that we can possibly have both a God of love mentioned here in 1 John and a lot of places in the book of Romans and also a God of wrath? St. Augustine, a theologian from the third, fourth century, um, he was uh, a, a, a brilliant theologian, but he had this uh, um, a defense, um, an, an apologetic, if you will, for the case for evil, the problem for evil. Uh, how can we justify God as being love while there is evil or darkness or bad things, or in our case, wrath in the world? And the way that he described it, and I know, I think I'm pretty sure I've mentioned this before here, is that Augustine used the Latin phrase of privatio and negatio, which just means our privation and negation. Meaning, here's what he means. He means it's impossible to ever describe anything that is bad or evil or wrathful without a positive alternate definition of good and righteousness. There's no other way to do it. You have to have a working definition of what is good and right and holy. And so we usually have definitions of words where we tack on a prefix or a suffix of, of unholy or disunified or misunderstood, right? I have to have the positive to be able to understand the negative. It doesn't answer all the questions and, and, and Augustine doesn't claim that it does either. And yet they're, they're both required <laughs> that you can't just have goodness without seeing what I have been saved from. And even John in this passage does that. Anyone who does not love God, that he needs to be a propitiation for our sins, right? It's not just love, love, love. We love because we're sinners. We love because Jesus first loved us. So then why is the wrath of God necessary? Why is the wrath of God necessary? I think that we all desire Justice, right? Again, hinging back into that verse 16 and 17, that the righteousness, the justice of God that is given to us through his gospel, we want that justice. Everyone wants justice. We see uh, problems in the world um, that we want Jesus. We want, the, the, we want God to, to fix it. We, we see something that's wrong, even if it's not God or Jesus. We want, we want somebody to make it right. Um, if you watch the Super Bowl, there was a commercial uh, by a company, I don't even know who it is. I never I didn't look it up, but Jesus Gets Us was the ad. And they just showed a, a bunch of images of, of people screaming and yelling at each other, right? And if you experienced uh, 2020 through 2022, you remember this, right? We're just in each other's faces over everything. And, and the whole point was then, right, that, that it would like, the, the, Jesus loved the people we hate, which is a great message. And then I had a friend on Facebook who's, who's not a believer, and he wrote on there, he was like, Jesus is cool, but the people that follow him are total jerks. So we didn't know where to use jerks, right? And it's like, yeah, you're not wrong. And yet, do you understand you're doing exactly what this commercial was at? Right, you're, you're literally attacked. We just we just get on the offensive so much, and when we see an injustice, we want it to be fixed. We want it to be made right. I think we all want this. So let's get back into the text again. Because because of the gospel, because of His righteousness in through faith, because the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress 
the truth. Suppress here uh, means hold fast to, right? Think of that sailor holding on to a rope. It is extremely active in doing so, right? If you're on a, on a ship and you're being tossed around, you, you're gonna grab on. You're not just gonna be like, oh yeah, no, I'm holding on, but kind of metaphorically speaking. No, 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 you're, you're gripping this. That, this suppression is, is active um, in doing this. Uh, there's no passively living in unrighteousness. That's Paul's argument that he's making here. You don't passively just live in sin. You're very active in this. Um, I, I know I've brought this up before, but this was, I, I took a picture of my, my TV this week of, of me when I was John Proctor. I'm the skinny guy on the left. Um, and uh, I, so this was the, from, the, from the play, The Crucible. And my friend, he was my roommate. Looks like we're just giving each other a warm embrace. We're not. Um, in this scene, he's trying to handcuff my wife and, and I get mad. And I remember we had, he had, he was the director. Um, and, and I remember like the first time it was like, we're like playing like, oh, don't handcuff my wife. And he's like, dude, you gotta come at me. You gotta, you gotta let me hit you. You gotta let me knock you over, um, right? And, there was a, there's a, and, it's, and it's an active, right? Contain me. Restrain me is another word for that, suppress. It's actively restrain, force me to turn away. We actively suppress the truth because, again, that word gar, for, uh, uh, sorry, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse, that humanity is without excuse because God says, the apostle Paul through, through uh, God, through the apostle Paul says, we're without excuse because we've suppressed this. We've actively rebelled against God. We can look at nature around us and say, man, there is a God, there is a deity around us. And so I'm gonna actively deny that. So we have to ask again that question, why is the wrath of God necessary? because humanity is active in their disobedience. I am active in my disobedience, active in our rebellion against our creator, which we will look at a lot next week. And so Paul says here, we are without excuse. Again, how can this be? It just sounds so, again, Old Testament-y. This, this wrathful God, it doesn't make any sense, right? This God, Jesus, Jesus loves us. He loves all people. Yes, he does. So how can he be both? How can he be both just and the justifier? Because he is both love and wrath. There's a gentleman by the name of Miroslav Volf. <laughs> He's Croatian. He wrote a book uh, called Exclusion and Embrace um, on this idea, right? Because I, and he's gonna argue here that, that we have a, a, a Western view of, hey, well, it's all okay. My, there's, no, there's no need for violence, this word of, of wrath. He's gonna argue that um, not retaliating or non-retaliation, again, there's that, I can't, yeah, you gotta have the negative attached to it, is only possible when we leave vengeance to God. Here's what he says. If God were not angry at injustice and deception and did not make a final end to violence, that God would not be worthy of worship. The only means of prohibiting all recourse to violence by ourselves is to insist that violence is legitimate only when it comes from God. My thesis, that the practice of nonviolence requires a belief in divine vengeance will be unpopular with many in the West. 
but it takes the quiet of a suburban home for the birth of the thesis that human nonviolence results from the belief in God's refusal to judge. In a sun-scorched land, soaked in the blood of the innocent, it will invariably die with other pleasant captivities of the liberal mind. He's viewing, he's seeing the atrocities of war happen in front of him. And as we see it, I think we see this on the news all the time, and I think there's a part of our heart that just cries out, stop this. There's gotta be something that's gonna fix this. In the Jesus Storybook Bible, the um, interpretation of Isaiah that I know that we read to our kids that we've read here multiple times um, that says that, I wanna, that, that God is gonna make everything wrong come untrue. I have to believe that and I have to believe in the wrath of God because if that's not true, then I guess vengeance is ours. And again, looking at last week though, that there is no one good, that we are all sinners. And God has to pour out his wrath against that injustice, even the injustice in my own heart, even my own rebellion, my own turning away. So then finally, that third point is, how does the wrath of God then manifest? If I had to guess uh, where your mind goes, my imagine, I would imagine that you would go to future wrath, hell, fire, brimstone, lake of fire, all that stuff, right? Which isn't necessarily wrong, but that's not Paul's point here, right? When you tar- start talking about the wrath of God, you could like a, a former pastor's Jonathan Edwards wrote a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of the Angry God, where he's teaching and preaching about the wrath of God, that he's, it's like you're hanging from a spider web over the fires of hell. And if it isn't just for the, the goodness and mercy of God, that we're all, we're all goners and that people, there's stories of people's hands were holding the pews and just white knuckled. They were terrified of falling into hell. And we could go that route. That's not the route that the apostle Paul goes. Paul doesn't start talking about future wrath and eternal damnation. He doesn't do that. He says, this wrath is now. It's right here and it's happening all around us. This wrath of God, this divine justice, this big aha moment is that the wrath is also active presently. It's active the same way that that suppression that we actively suppress, the wrath of God is also active. Again, he says this, for the wrath of God is revealed, that's present tense. Not will be revealed, an eternal punishment. It's a whole nother sermon for another day, but it's not in this text. Paul's point is that the wrath of God is currently now revealed because although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him but became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were dark and claiming to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonor of their bodies among themselves. The God of the universe, because humanity is actively suppressing, actively rebelling, he says, you wanna worship someone else? You wanna worship something else? You wanna worship that person? You wanna worship that job? You wanna worship that relationship? You wanna worship that child? Go ahead, go ahead. Let's see where it gets you. He gives us over 
So what does this present active wrath of God look like? Again, this go ahead. One of the scariest aspects as a pastor when I'm talking with people and, and, and usually people who maybe have walked away from their faith or left from the church isn't the person um, who, who, who goes and lives their life. The, what is the Amish word? The rings, rings, ring, rings, Rumspringa, thank you. Rumspringa, right? Where you're like, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna just enjoy what I wanna enjoy. And then, and then after that's over, they, they come back uh, to, the, to the Amish faith in the sense of like, hey, I really wanna go experience this thing, the church. You know, the church is just, you got all your rules. Um, and usually people's problem with Christianity isn't Christ, it's the church or the people of the church. But they're like, hey, I gotta get away from all the rules. I gotta get away from this. I'm gonna go and experience this. And the people go, yeah, man, I just don't find fulfillment in that. This doesn't bring me joy. I find no satisfaction in that. Those people, I go, yes, then then let me share the gospel of Jesus Christ with you. Let me show you the one who can satisfy the longings of your heart. It's the people who go and they leave and they go, oh yeah, yeah, this is what I needed. This is what I was looking for. That's when it gets scary as a pastor. Not that anyone at any point is beyond the reach of the gospel, as we can see from Paul's conversion which then leads to the question, then how do we know if we are under this aspect of God's wrath? How do I know if God has given me over to this already? How do we know? How do we, how do we look at my desires and how do we check it to see if God gave me over to do what I wanna do? Well, the final aspect then of that wrath is the past wrath. All over the place in the Old Testament, I've just got one, one or two verses here, but there are probably a dozen or more aspects of the wrath of God being revealed. This is Jeremiah 25, verse 15 through 16. It says, thus the Lord, the God of Israel said to me, that is to Jeremiah, take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath and make the nations to whom I send you drink it. Make them drink this cup of the wine of my wrath. And they shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword that I am sending among them. A while back, years ago, I did a theology of a cup. And, we, and I remember using these verses and looking at this, this cup. But this cup is full, brim to brim of the wrath of God, divine repayment for the wrongs committed. And we cannot drink that cup. We can't do it. We can't, that's why we have a God who is just and holy and separate, who has to punish wrong and has to punish wrongdoing and sin and says, I have to punishment, I have to punish that. And we go, okay, then let me drink that cup. I'll I'll take your wrath, I guess. And he says, "You, you can't do it because it's divine, it's eternal. It doesn't work that way. It's not one for one, it's not tit for tat, it's not quid pro quo. We can't drink it, but someone did. Someone did drink of the wrath of that cup. In the garden of Gethsemane, in the gospels, we read this in Matthew chapter 26, 39, and going a little further, Jesus fell on his face and prayed saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup, what cup? Again, I only looked just for time's sake at one verse, but there are a lot of them looking at this cup of wrath. Let this wrath, the wrath and the just wrath of the Father be poured out on me instead of the creations, your image bearer, your perfect image, let it be poured out on me so it doesn't pass on to them. Let me drink the cup. He says, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And what's interesting is soon after this, James and John, two of the disciples of Jesus, come to Jesus and they're like, hey, we wanna sit at your right hand and your left hand in the kingdom. 
We want to we like be like the guys in your kingdom. And Jesus is like, you can't, you have no idea what you're asking. You can't drink that cup. And they're like, yeah, we can. He's like, no, you can't, right? It doesn't, you, you physically cannot drink this cup. Only the son of God can do this. Only I can do this. And Jesus endures this wrath of God on the cross for our behalf, for our sin, once for all. And then he sits down at the right hand of the Father. And so then we can read in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 through 11, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, again, he's now using it in, in Thessalonians as present and future, that we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. We are not destined for wrath. Even though we have rebelled against God and we are active in that, it is Christ who takes the wrath of God, exchanges his righteousness, his goodness, his justice, puts that robe on us and then says, come with me, brother, come with me, sister. Hey, dad, this is my brother. He's wearing my righteousness. He drank the cup because I drank it for him. He's okay. Nothing, we did nothing in that exchange. And then we get to Revelation chapter 20, verse six. The apostle John says this, blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection over such the second death has no power. We're gonna talk about future wrath and this lake of fire. The apostle John tells us here that the first resurrection, the spiritual resurrection, as Jesus says, we must be born again. We must be raised. We must go from death to life. That first spiritual resurrection, which then we will all lead to our first physical death where our bodies die. And then we have a second resurrection, which is physical, that we will be given glorified bodies. Those will, or who are in Christ will rise with Christ, which then leads to the second death, this spiritual death where there's no further wrath. Jesus paid for it. But he says, but warning to those of you who don't do this, it is going to be a second death, a spiritual death. But for those of us who find ourselves with Christ because of our status as brother or sister with Christ, that the wrath of God has been paid for, which then brings us then to that gospel application. The good news becomes a lot more good in light of the darkness. We, we look at this, there's a, the school I went to, the college I went to, Maranatha, <laughs> Hebrew, for come Lord Jesus, it is a regular prayer of mine. Lord, just fix this. Like, what are you waiting for? But there's gonna be a day and someday it's all gonna be made clear somehow in some way that when Jesus returns and makes everything right, makes all the wrongs become untrue, it's gonna make this look so much more glorious. It's so easy to downplay the wrath of God but we all want justice. We all want to see the wrongs made right. And again, how can this just God allow anyone into his presence because Jesus drank the cup that we couldn't? But the night before he drank the cup of the wrath of God, he gave his disciples, his followers, a new cup to, to drink of, a new covenant in his blood. And he said, this is the cup that you can drink. And this cup, this bread that represents his body, it's broken for us, this juice that represents his blood that's been poured out for us, poured out to, to appease the wrath of God. This is why we do this every week to remember. 
And Jesus says, I want you to take this cup. I want you to break it. I want you to eat it. I want you to drink it in remembrance of what I've done. You can approach a holy God. You don't no longer have to hide behind the cleft of the rock. You can run to the Father. And a matter of fact, he runs toward you and embraces you and says, welcome home. We have communion here every week um, at Lower Town. And so all I'd ask is that you're a follower of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you go, yeah, I need that cup. I need, I need to take of the cup that Jesus gave me to remember the cup that he drank. Sorry, I use the word cup and drink and remember a lot there. You know what I'm saying? I gotta remember his finished work. And I get to do that. We get to viscerally break and taste and see that he is good. If you're a follower of Jesus, I'd love for you to partake of that. You don't have to be a member of this church or regular attender of any church. Maybe it's your first time hearing that free grace of the gospel and say, Me, I don't want the wrath. I do want the love. I want the acceptance. Partake of this today with us. Accept Christ Jesus, that today can be the day of repentance and turning towards God. Let me pray. Um, Angel's just gonna play a couple hymns as we partake of these elements, and then I will come back up and dismiss us. So feel free to grab these elements as you see, you see fit. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again just for our time together this morning and looking at a topic that is difficult in the sense of just thinking about your wrath. That God, you, you are full of wrath. But I thank you that you restrain it, that you withhold it on us because you have already completely appeased your wrath through your son for those who put their faith in him. And only by faith that we can believe this gospel, this righteousness that then is imputed to us. There's nothing that we can do to earn your favor. We can't be good enough. We can't stop suppressing our angst and rebellion against you. You're the only one who can do that work in us. So I pray that as we partake of these elements that we would just remember that finished work of Christ on the cross, that we get to look at our older brother, that we get to see you seated on your throne and we get to go to you and say, Abba, Father, we love you and we thank you for our time together this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.